This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And for this episode, I want to share about something from Ephesians chapter 6 that I'm guessing the last time that many of us heard this passage talked about was probably in Sunday school. Because this is the passage that you, you know, if you grew up in a church at all, that you probably remember learning this lesson about the armor of God. And at first when I started thinking about, yeah, you know, it just immediately jumps out as, yeah, that's a lesson for kids. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more. And I read through this passage and I was reminded that the reason that we often think of this as a lesson for kids is because it it goes great with visuals, right? Talk about the armor of God and you can bring in little costume helmet and shield and breastplate and shin guards and all that stuff. And it's it's put into you know, kind of a kid category in our minds. But that's not what Paul was writing about here. What he was doing, you know, it's interesting. I want to give just a a very quick overview of Paul's situation when he was writing Ephesians. He, first he had gone to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Uh, He'd been there, he was worshiping in the temple And there was a belief among some of the Jewish people there that he had brought a Greek person into the sanctuary. So they dragged him out into the street, they beat him, and they they almost killed him. A Roman soldier stopped this before they got to the point of killing him. And Paul went before some local Roman authorities. At that point, there were Um, some Jewish people who decided that they were going to take Paul's life. And so he was kind of smuggled out of town. And then he spent time in prison in Caesarea for two years. And he was going to appear before Felix, who was the Roman governor. Uh, Felix, he was kind of keeping Paul on the hook because he was hoping to get Uh, a bribe or, you know, extort some money from Paul while he was uh, in prison. And until he paid, Felix just kind of kept him there. Finally, Paul appealed to Caesar and they put him on a ship and sent him out to Rome. On the way to Rome, he was shipwrecked and he was He was forced to spend a winter uh, in Malta where he was bitten by a snake. Then, once the weather got warmer in the spring, he went to Rome and he was under house arrest there for at least a year, maybe like 18 months. And during that period, uh, he was chained. This is what house arrest looked like for them. They didn't have the little... 
uh, ankle, I'm, I'm blanking on the word, the little ankle monitors, you know, in his day, obviously. So house arrest meant he was chained to Roman soldiers in four hour shifts around the clock. And so when Paul talks about, writes about the armor of God, he's using the visual of a soldier because he's, he's sitting right next to one of these guys all the time. And with that in mind, I want to read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now I want you to think about that for a second. That Paul can write, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, knowing the history of what I just talked about, what he had experienced over the previous years of running into issues with person after person, after flesh and blood situation, situation, how he can say, I'm not saying we're fighting a battle against people. Uh, we're, we're battling against evil, against wrong, against, um, you know, against Satan. And verse 13, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now that word he keeps repeating, standing, Stand your ground after you've done everything. Stand. He starts the next verse. Stand firm then. That word stand, that was um, giving no ground. That was the, the military idea of you're here. This is, our, this is where our line goes up to and the enemy doesn't come this way. We're standing firm here. So again, he's, he's painting a, a military picture, talking about the armor of God, but he's saying we're not fighting against people here, but we're using this military language and idea. And he says in verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and I'm going to kind of, at least a few of these, some of these are really pretty obvious, um, but some of these things I want to sort of point out specifically and say, okay, this is why this would matter. So the belt, especially uh, with what they would have been normally wearing, you know, we picture people that are from, you know, the first century we picture them wearing kind of the, um, <laughs> like what the Little Caesars guy, 
I don't even, I guess his name is Caesar. I don't know what their mascot's name is, but the guy that does the pizza pizza thing, he's wearing that toga. And that's kind of what we picture people for the most part, right? Wearing in, in the first century. They're wearing basically, you know, what we would call a dress, something that hangs over and covers both legs in one piece of fabric. And so the belt, the belt of truth, Paul talks about, the belt would have been a huge piece of armor because they needed to kind of gather up the extra fabric that would hang down below their waist and get their legs tangled up and keep them from being able to actually, you know, use all the armor that they were wearing because they didn't have good freedom of movement. And so, you know, I was trying to think of like putting this into a super modern context, right? Not a lot of us go to the gym wearing jeans because that limits what we can do. You can't, you can't do all the flexible motions. You can't really, you know, run very well wearing jeans. I guess maybe skinny jeans wouldn't be, it wouldn't be comfortable, but you could do it a lot better or, you know, riding a stationary bike or lifting weights or whatever, because jeans weren't meant for that kind of level of mobility. You wear shorts and you've got, you know, whether there's, you know, kind of a spandex or something tight that goes under them, you know, something that can let you do what you need to do. That's what the belt did for, you know, a soldier or for this illustration that Paul's using of you got to kind of tuck everything in before you can actually start moving around. He says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And it's interesting because we think, you know, now you can get shoes for all terrains. You can, you know, if you want to go run on the street, you wear one kind of shoe. If you want to go run on trails, you wear a different kind of shoe. If you want to go hiking, you wear a different kind. Climbing, different kind. Snow shoeing, (laughs) I don't know, a different kind. I'm just trying to think of all these different kinds of shoes. But in Paul's day, this wasn't, you know, there, there weren't really a ton of different options of tread that you would have. But interestingly, um, as I looked into some of the history of this, Alexander the Great, they said one of the reasons that his army was so successful is because they had some good tread on their shoes. And one of the things, I, I don't know for sure that this is what it looked like, but one thing that I saw was it talked about the idea of kind of almost having little nails that came out of the bottom of, you know, the sandals or the shoes. And that would let you just kind of dig in and really stand your ground no matter where you were. Now, I started thinking of the logistics of, 
okay, cool, but then what happens when I step on a rock and the, that little nail kind of digs up into the bottom of my foot? You know, I don't know if they put a slab of something over top of it, but he's saying as we're standing our ground, feet fitted with the readiness, the readiness, the ability to dig in and move, that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now that idea there, the shield of faith, um, there were real-life shields that were used in real-life battles, protecting against arrows that were dipped in tar and lit on fire. You've probably seen that in movies and TV shows of medieval war. People would have seen that in real life. And Paul's writing this, and people would have pictured the shield that was used to protect against that. It was traditionally or typically four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. This is a shield you can set down on the ground and you can get down behind because you've got fiery arrows coming at you. And he says, use the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And, you know, I, as I read through this list, again, I'm reminded of why this is such a great story for kids. But I think because we have it in that category in our minds, we can really easily miss the wisdom and the depth that's contained in these verses. Now, Paul, obviously, like I said, he's, he's got this visual aid of a soldier sitting right next to him. So he's really giving thought to, hey, this soldier is just sitting here right now. Maybe it doesn't really make sense that they're wearing a breastplate or they're wearing a helmet or who knows if they were in a little bit more of an informal type of a situation, especially as time went on. I don't know. I know I wouldn't have wanted to be a soldier wearing all that stuff, sitting next to a guy for four hours at a time, a year in going, I know he's not going to try to do anything. Do I have to be this uncomfortable just to be here? But when Paul was looking at, okay, these guys, they're ready. They're prepared. And sometimes we're not. We don't live life like we actually are on guard. We kind of just float through things oftentimes, at least I know I do, and go into 
situations kind of naively. Just think, oh yeah, nothing, nothing bad's gonna happen. And I'm not talking about things where our physical safety is in danger or in jeopardy. I'm talking about things where we're not thinking of our own spiritual health. We're not thinking of our need to be um, on guard, to be aware that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, like Paul says. Um, Our battle is, like he says, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I have to be honest, you know, we had a, there was a message at our church this past Sunday where the pastor talked about, you know, we often kind of fall on either or of these extremes. And one of them is the idea that, okay, everything that goes wrong in my life is a spiritual attack. And so I made a bad decision and now I'm facing a consequence. Oh man, Satan's really working hard to try to take me down right now. And we probably know some people that fall into that category. On the other end of the extreme, people who go, "Ah, come on, we're not really actually having a battle against Satan. It's just kind of natural consequences happen when we do dumb stuff and or when other people do dumb stuff and that's kind of how it goes. And he said it's kind of easy to live on one of those two extremes. And I realized that I've seen that what I would consider to be that excuse or that justification of trying to blame things on Satan, on the devil, you know, the phrase like the devil made me do it. I I don't actually know people that talk about it that way, but who will say, hey, we're under attack. This is what's happening right now. And I go, well, no, someone did this and now you know, we're, we're experiencing some negative consequences. And so I find myself on this far side of the spectrum of kind of, um, I don't know about denying, but having a hard time. Like, even as I read that part of the verse, um, it's like, oh, that strikes me as weird. And I think it's probably because I've I've seen that idea in my perspective misused of like, yeah, yeah, Satan's really attacking us and trying to drag us down. And, you know, there's a lot of this, a lot of this spiritual warfare that's going on. And because I see a lot of that attributed to things that I'm like, no, that's because I was being a jerk. That's not because Satan's attacking us. Or it's because you were being a jerk. It's not because Satan's attacking us. I I kind of fall on this end of the spectrum where I, in a lot of ways, almost write that off and just say, well, the natural consequences of things happen. Um, But I'm reminded right now, and I, I think it's from the book of James, I'm thinking of this in the moment, that 
our enemy, the devil, uh, stalks around, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And I think it can be easy if we, you know, if you like me are on this such far end of the spectrum of saying, yeah, I've seen that stuff kind of misused and used to justify people making mistakes and then trying to get out from under the consequences of them or taking responsibility by blaming this on, you know, spiritual attacks or whatever, that I've kind of, I kind of have a hard time with that. And when I read these verses, I'm reminded of the truth, but I've got to be honest, I've I would like these words, the language here, to be a lot more muted, right? Because <laughs> Paul's saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I would be a lot more comfortable if he said, hey, um, you know, we're, we're battling against when people lean into greed and selfishness, when it's a me first at the expense of other people kind of attitude. That's what we're fighting against, right? That, that would make more sense with this far end of the spectrum that I've landed on. But it's a reminder even as I'm reading this and as I'm talking right now, that our enemy, Satan, wants to see us fail, wants to see us fall from walking closer and closer to God. And Paul's reminding us, we're not fighting a flesh and blood, fist to fist, trying to hurt people battle, but we are in a battle and we need to be ready like that's true because we have a real enemy, Satan, who wants us to fail, who doesn't want God's work in our lives to continue. And just like this guy that Paul was, um, you know, chained to or handcuffed to for four hours in shifts all day, every day, that was ready for action all the time. I think he had a constant reminder, wow, we, we need to be at least that ready all the time because our battle isn't against people. Um, our battle is against, and he says it even earlier in verse 11, so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Um, And that stand, again, that military word, stand firm, stay steady, be right here. This is the line in the sand. This is where we are. And we're standing against the devil's schemes. So I, I don't know, maybe you have heard me talking through this stuff and go, I think he recorded that episode for himself (laughs) to kind of be uh, reminded of some things that he was, you know, kind of moving away from or 
had a hard time trusting that that's true. And maybe that's, maybe that's what I did here. I just did a little, I don't know how long, 25 minute recording to talk to myself about this. Um, but maybe, maybe you resonate with some of that stuff. And maybe you, like me, have been realizing, yeah, I don't, I don't really spend a whole lot of time being actively on guard. Uh, I'm not aware that the devil is scheming. I'm not living like that's true. I'm not putting defenses in place around, especially around my weak points where I know I'm vulnerable, where I know if I'm not really careful, um, I can be led down this road of temptation to do what I actually want to do, right? If I'm honest and know that those schemes that what the devil has for my life or the plan that he would love to see happen in my life is I'm not real ready. I'm not real active. I'm not real engaged. And let's take this reminder from Paul. Um, to be ready. <laughs>